0: The Horses are at the gate. And they're off!
1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Englehart,
2: racing's regular guy. Okay, well, it's that time of season where... You better win because you could be in. Uh, we're uh, not that far away from the Breeders' Cup, so a lot of the races we're going to be handicapping over the next couple of weeks are going to be uh, races that are going to determine who gets into the field uh, for the Breeders' Cup automatically. Obviously, there's other uh, ways of getting in the race through your performance and your money earnings. <clears throat> there are some European races. We'll see if those horses end up showing up. But uh, Belmont Park has an absolutely sensational card, and we're going to be looking at four graded stakes races um, highlighted by the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars jockey Club Gold Cup. And uh, it's amazing the horses that have run in this race over the years. It is a mile and a quarter, Couldn't be a better prep for the classic. Also, we're looking at the Grade 3 Pilgrim, the Grade 2 Dame. That's got a really nice feel. And the Grade 1, how fast are you? Vosberg? And we're going to be bringing in with us on that a uh, gentleman by the name of Andrew Champagne. Uh, you may recall that uh, Andrew was on this show, oh, a while back, and it uh, turned out to be pretty sharp handicapper. Um, he's a... Uh, New Yorker, or Kingston, New York. That's up the road a little bit, from the Big Apple. And, uh, well, he's really involved in media production. I want to find out where he's not, because he's going to work, uh, you know, with NBC for a while. Uh, But then he's also eventually uh, got himself involved in uh, TVG. So we'll see exactly where he is today. These guys move on after an interview on Winning Ponies. And how about the cotillion it turned out to be a sensational race the grade one cotillion at parks racing it was the race just before the pennsylvania derby and getting through the horse i said my heart will be betting on was street band frank angst of the blood horse picked this horse as its top pick street band and sophie doyle come from next to last to a rousing first and they're going to the Breeders' Cup. That's right, uh, Street Band. What a, a horse this uh, he/she's developed into. Um, won the Grade Two Fairground Oaks. Sophie up didn't fare well in the Kentucky Oaks, though. Was in tight early and got shuffled. Then I was there when she won the Indiana Oaks. Went up and finished third in the Alabama, and now Sophie and Street Band take their show on the road and win the cotillion, and Sophie will be our first guest. Very exciting. Everybody rooting for that day for sure. Well, uh, here's an award that's close to my heart because it's named after a good friend of mine, Mr. Bill Mooney, and that is the uh, National Turf Writers and Broadcasters uh Bill Mooney Award, and it's go it's going to go to jockey Joy Scott, and uh, it this award honors courage in the face of tremendous adversity, which is what Bill faced the final years of his life. It it wasn't that uh, you know I'm going to die. It was just like when you know, and doctors had gave him. A lot of different uh, times, and uh, nobody thought Bill would last as long as he did, but he was sharp right up to the end. Just a marvelous, marvelous journalist, and if you got to know him, a great person. Uh, Well, uh, Joy Scott, uh, she launched her career as a jockey in 1981, won 537 races riding in Thoroughbred, quarter horse, Arabian, and mixed breed events. What a talented horse person she was. Now, she suffered severe injuries to her right leg in a five horse accident at at Los Alamitos. That was back in 2001, uh, but returned to the saddle to ride races, uh, over a year later. And and now she says, I'm a winner again. Uh, she's battling back from injuries, suffered in a morning training accident back in 2013. Uh, the, uh, People she'll line up alongside, well, uh, other uh, Bill Mooney Award winners include Renee Douglas and last year's winner, horseman Martine Belloc. You may recall she uh, went into the fire at St. Reyes Downs and pulled horses out and sustained some serious injuries herself, uh, but uh, uh, Jay Havdey. I uh, had nice words uh, to say about Joy Scott. It says uh, she's the walking embodiment of what the Mooney Award has come to represent. Uh, her desire to remain a viable part of the sport kept her competing until it was no longer possible. And her nightmare struggles with recovery from serious injuries sadly more typical of others in her situation. So, again, uh, the National Turf writers and broadcasters, uh, others uh, that will have uh, – Uh, that are uh, included here uh, will be uh, Kate and Brader is getting an award. We just had her on uh, two weeks ago. She's winning the Jim McKay award. All right, let's move up to uh, action. Johnny V vies for four, well, he's going to ride in three graded stakes races, but he's vying for the graded stakes record uh, to past Jerry Bailey, and it really looks like uh, th- this horse, Bast, uh, who's a heavy favorite uh, in, in the Philly test, uh, should give Johnny V a good chance. Now, he's going to ride in uh, three races. I, I believe that uh, the uh, race that Bapst is in, the sh- uh, Chandelier, is going to go at 3.30, 3.10 Pacific time. at, at uh, She started at Del Mar, She's a two year old Uncle Mo Philly, and she is just something else. And uh, so we'll see if Johnny V, you know, he's going to get done eventually. Uh, McKenzie and Howard Power are going to clash in the Awesome again. Now, this race is going to be on Sunday. So we're going to see a battle between two of the top older horses in the country. Uh, now, that is uh, the, the 28th, and I'm scrambling my papers. Yes uh no no that will be saturday evening coming to see great we'll get to see the early races and they'll get to see that uh so uh mckenzie and higher power awesome again and they'll be going on to the breeders cup classic should they get under the finish line first all right last week great week of racing or a day of racing for sure at parks and uh We'll start with the Pennsylvania Derby. This turned into a two-horse race, and uh, Mr. Money was game. He was jumping up from uh, four consecutive grade three wins, and all of a sudden was facing grade one company, and he looked like he was a grade one winner until, boom, he got banged over the head this time by Math Wizard, who has been running behind Mr. Money in the Indiana Derby and the West Virginia Derby. Uh, Mr. Money won both of those and uh, Math Wizard got the job done in the grade one million dollar Pennsylvania Derby. Uh, It it was uh, uh, War of Will who finished up in the third spot. The cotillion, well, I've already kind of Tip my hand on this one. What a race for street band. I can't wait to listen to the story about the team that puts this together. Uh, I know it from Sophie's perspective. But, of course, uh, Larry Jones, one of the best trainers in the world, one of my favorite trainers personally, uh, gets it done with a $5,000 stud. She's worth a whole lot more than that right now. But it was a homebred, this did not go go through the sales ring, street band Paying seventeen forty in the second spot, it was the just about even money favorite, Garana, who was undefeated going into this race, off three lifetime victories, but two of those, the Acorn and the Coaching Club American Oaks, were Grade One victories. Uh, finishing third in the race was twenty-two to one shot. Horologist, uh, a horse who looks like he's got a future. She's got a future ahead of her. Uh, She came into that race off four consecutive wins, the last in the Grade Three Monmouth Oaks, and then the Gallant Bob. You got to be quick. Don't blink or you'll miss this one. And the winner was Jerry Hollendorfer's King Jack. Uh, this horse is actually owned by Michael Stinson, trained by Jerry Hollendorfer, a Jimmy Creed colt that uh, stalked widest and then just surged past him. This is a really good looking, put together well uh, chestnut for sure. King Jack, three-year-old colt by Jimmy Creed. In the second spot, this horse had the lead and looked dangerous. This was the one that I liked in this race and that was Landis Uh Doug O'Neill, he's always got something in his back pocket and it uh, looks like Landis uh, could be the uh, gelding that he had this year. And uh, finishing third was trophy chaser Jose Ortiz in the saddle. Uh, then we, uh, a race that had particular interest to me and it's always been on the map, uh it's back to grade three status, and that's the Frank de Francis Memorial at Laurel Park. And the winner in here, I'm gonna say by default, was Killy Begg's captain. Uh there was a pretty bad duckout by old time revival in this race, just as Buckeye bred Altissimo was making a winning move, and boom, Altissimo gets hit, had to regain his composure. Meanwhile, Beggs captain slips through on the inside. I'm not saying this isn't a horse without credentials or talent, but it was just a shame to see uh, Altissimo, who would have recorded the biggest win in his career, uh, in, in this grade three race, I uh, get the job done, but the, the duck out by old time revival was not going to allow that. Uh, let's take a look at other action. I may have skipped over the, oh, man, did you see Kofeve in the dogwood? Just missed the stakes record. Uh, Kovevi just, just Took over, it was a bit of a race for a while, and then she just dismissed her rivals as if to say, Get out of the way, girls, and uh, you know, t- took the dogwood stakes over Bells the one. Uh, now, it, w- it wasn't a track record, but it was a stakes record uh, 120.51. So it uh, looks like Kovevi uh, will definitely uh, be seen at the Breeders' Cup. Uh, The uh, former record, by the way, was uh, Ellen J. Foxwood's Super Majesty. So, what do you see this, Cavabby? She is a darling. And, of course, look like that at the windows, too. (laughs) Was sent off as the one to five favorite. So, uh, it was her first start since defeating Kentucky Oaks winner Surregedi Empress in the August 3rd test. That was seven furlongs. She's a daughter of guess who? One of the rising stallions on the landscape into mischief, who I do believe has had his stud fee bumped Quite a bit. I think he's standing at 175 now. Here was a. uh, We already talked about uh, uh, King Jack. He was a good-looking horse. Uh, Killy begs. Have anybody else on the dance card here? Yeah, come dancing. Speaking of dance card, uh, this Malibu Moon filly will then uh, target the uh, Breeders' Cup filly and mare sprint. Next time out, Uh, lived up to her odds-on favoritism and scored another graded stakes victory with ease in the gallant bloom. So uh, that's a look pretty much at the the stakes, major stakes that you want to keep an eye on. Now, again, coming up in this next segment, we are going to have Sophie Doyle who I believe has a huge fan club out there because anywhere I am, if she's running a race, people are cheering for Sophie. Again, Sophie earned her first career grade one stakes win, and she was also honored as the Foundation Detox Jockey of the Week in a rare unanimous vote. So congratulations to Sophie. Uh, we're going to be talking to her about her career and specifically about that race. So with no further ado, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
1: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspiring really fast all the time the
1: number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john Engelhart.
2: All right, well, I told you at the head of the show, we're going to have uh, Sophie Doyle, who was just voted a Jockey's Guild uh, uh, Jockey of the Week for last week. And, and what is kind of unanimous is the, uh, it's kind of, Sophie, are you with me? I'm hearing something in the background there.
3: Yeah, hi, John, I'm here. All right, well, listen, hey,
2: congratulations, that was thrilling. I hope it was as thrilling for you as it was for me and everybody else that watched the race.
3: Uh, thank you very much. It was indeed. It was absolutely phenomenal and just, it was so enlightening. just to be able to, you know, to be able to be in the grade one and then to actually to win it and now know that we're going on to the Breeders' Cup. It was absolutely fantastic.
2: Well, before I get there, I want to rewind because I think one of the last times we had you on was uh, when you won aboard Ready, and, uh, you uh, upset uh, a huge horse in there, and uh, that that was your first graded stakes win, and to think that now you've kind of climbed your way up the ladder is pretty cool.
3: Yes, absolutely. It's been brilliant. We've um, we've come a long way, definitely. It's been a fantastic couple of years, and it's been nice now to be matched up again with another fabulous filly like Street Band.
2: Well, listen. There's a great story uh, that comes uh, with with Street Band, uh, and and I want to get into that because Sophie, to to see the teamwork that I've had to observe with I've been blessed to observe with my own eyes uh, between uh, you and this Philly and um, the assistant trainer. I remember you gave him. Is it York? Yeah, Corey York. Corey York. I thought it was really cool because I know Larry didn't go up uh, to the Indiana Oaks. I was up there. Uh, I think you gave me a wink and a quick wave. You were so sort of swamped <laughs> by everybody. <laughs> uh, but uh, but to see you go over, uh, to go. You know, there were different people trying to grab at you, know I mean? and you made sure that you made a beeline for the assistant trainer. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely.
3: It's, you know... It's a whole team effort, and you know Corey York and her groom and street band's groom Sarah, and the Tony and George who ride her, pony her every day that around her. It's up. And you know the whole team in the barn. It's a whole team effort, and without without those people being involved, you know it's it's a hard job to do for us jockeys. That you know we get to be on board them and, and enjoy the. Great days at the racetrack, but it's the work that goes on behind the scenes that are the most important. Um, now, you know, was they're a really big team
2: at Indiana Do-
3: uh,
2: at the Indiana Oaks? Was was that the woman that was leading you in? Was that Street Band's groom? Yes, it was. You should see all my, fo- I know you've seen some of them, but you should see my photos. She's smiling like you didn't yeah. even need any lights on the place. She was no. so smiling. <laughs> it was like, I didn't know if I was taking pictures of Sophie or the groom. I mean, she was great. Uh,
3: she's just absolutely beaming with so much joy. She takes so much pride in what she does. You know, she has, um, she's looked after street band for a long time. And it's been a, good, it's been a really nice process. And, She's just so happy, and she's just so thrilled. You know, you don't at the moment you don't actually see too many female grooms, and especially looking after a gay, graded steak when I was. Um, so it's just it's brilliant to have all three of us ladies join up, and it's been fantastic.
2: All right, now now, tell me if I dreamt this up or if I actually read it. Uh, I understand that you do fly down for her works uh to churchill downs you're based in chicago but th- what i want to know is is it true that street band will get kind of wind up wound up maybe even even around larry jones and that you kind of when you come down for your workouts stay a couple stalls down so she can't see you until it's time for the work
3: yeah it is i actually i've been i think one time i got to fly down and drive back um but most of the time every other week i Set off on a five hour drive to the night before, and so I can join her early in the morning, as with obviously there's a time difference in Chicago you're an hour behind Louisville time, so I drive down the night before to be there and she you know she does get a little hot headed um, I think the fact that she's around you know because obviously Larry has a team the team that are at Louisville taking care of that string, and then Larry looks after the other string that. Um, that are at Ellis during the summer. Um, so they're around her just a little bit more. And I think, you know, I don't know, sometimes even I have a dog that, um, in, up here in Chicago, that, for me, for some reason. So I think it's, you know, just nature. And uh, But right now, honestly, Larry's been there for, he was there at the, in Alabama, Saratoga, and we did fantastic up there, and she did just fine. And she also... He he was the one that had the last hold of her before I set off onto the track up there at Parks, and I think the two of them are really starting to come along together and enjoy his company a bit more.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, you keep them in line, Sophie. Well, uh, for any of uh, our listeners that didn't get a chance uh, to watch the Cotillion, um, by the way, you were our pick on the show last week. Um uh, can, oh, can, you. can you take us through the race cuz it had to be an interesting one you in the early in the early going you only had one horse beat i believe you were in 10th was that your uh intent to do
3: that no um definitely <laughs> i had all, all the plans made up except for that one um i probably should have planned the E and an F at the end of it, maybe a G, because that sort of plan, I knew, my idea was I knew the, the pace, we knew the pace would be hot, we knew the horses that would be up there with the front runners, and I said to myself, well, okay, maybe I won't be sitting like second or third like I have been, I'll probably be sitting mid-pack, you know, sitting about sixth or seventh, and stalking that pace and letting them do the hard work up front, um, as we're going, and sh- you know, she broke great from the gate. She was there with them, but then they just took off, and they all started running. I said, oh, if we go with two, it's just going to burn up too much. So I just naturally, I just let her settle herself where she was comfortable. And going around the... Huh, this isn't quite where I planned to be, but you know what? I trust your street band, and you. I know what you can do. So I just let her settle... And, me along and down the backside we just started passing horses which I think really a lot of confidence in herself as she was doing that so when we were actually strike coming up to the final turn we weren't too far off the leaders and they were a couple of them were starting to drop back to me so I decided to make my angle towards the outside to avoid interfering with horses that were stopping and of course the way the track played at parts, a lot of horses have made their run coming around the outside and down the middle of the track so I thought after watching all the races, that was a pretty fair place to be. So when we turned for home and we were, you know, in on um, Garana, I just really knew that once she switched to that right lead, she would explode for me. And just, I was so surprised in the way that she did it, though, because she really did it in a great fashion. She galloped away from all of them and she felt so strong towards the finish, having so much to do. All right,
2: really strong. All right, you're cutting out on us in just a little bit, yeah. but we, I, I do think we're getting the essence of it. But I, I think what you said Sorry. was, um, <laughs> that that when she moved over to her right lead, and she, and this is really because we're all rooting for you, but we know don't know if you're going to get it done, you know, because these other mm-hmm. horses are so intimidating. And when that horse switched over to her other lead, I mean, she did explode for you. I mean, she looked so much tons the better.
3: Yes, she did. She absolutely, she just exploded and she just really battled and she gave me everything she could and I lo- I just love the way how she finished up when she got past Garana. She kept on running. You know, she didn't get ahead and stop. She just kept on running and she did the best that she could and she did it delightfully. Well,
2: you, you made a lot of people happy, Sophie Doyle. You've got a huge fan club. You know, all you have to do is kind of uh, look on your Facebook page or anything like that and you mm-hmm. know how, how many hits you get. Now, um, yeah. d- does Larry uh, give any indication as to kind of what his next moves are, series of workouts? I do I'm Guessing she won't have another race before the Breeders' Cup. Uh, are you, are you a part of that plans, or do you find after out the, that uh, what they're going to do?
3: Yeah, I like I like stay in touch with Larry quite a bit, and we have a. I almost I think by now we've got a good idea on our game plan on how he like and how he likes the train Street Band as a per, as well as her work. Um, she'll definitely not race between now and the Breeders' Cup. She'll go straight to the distaff. And it seems to be working out that we breeze her every other week with a plan that she works her final workout five days before the race. That's been his joy with her every time that I've rode her. So we kind of stick to that plan. And in the next coming weeks, we'll be back on board and filling her out in the morning and making a certain go ahead, definitely to go out to Santa Anita.
2: Well, if anybody can keep a, a horse ha- healthy and happy, I would have to think that Larry Jones is the guy. Now, for you, and Sophie, taking a step back, back, I remember I mean, interviewing you, I'm going to say it, at Volterra Park, you know, about be kind be of who you me. were, where you were from, and what your goals were in the United States. Uh, now you're going to be riding in the Breeders' Cup in a, in a matter of uh, four years. That's... Pretty successful, so are you taking that in?
3: Yeah, I am definitely. I've probably taken in a bit more than I did the first time. Than I did when I rode via the there at the Breeders' Cup road last road 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 time. Yeah, it's right been three I years and different, oh, different So you. yeah, it'll be nice to be back there again and if I can have my mum, my brother joining me again too, that would be absolutely fabulous. <laughs>
2: Well, I, I do believe your mother was a trainer in England, and uh, tell the folks out there who your brother is. I know who he is.
3: Uh, my brother is um, James, who is one of the riders for Godolphin, and he's been a part of their team for four or five years now, so it's been, it's been really nice watching him, and especially actually this past. Some have been riding a lot for Owen Hardy, who have, he has quite a number of Godolphin horses, so it's been a nice to be a part of of
2: the godolphin team well i hope you get together at the breeders cup and have a fantastic family affair uh but i do want to let you know sophie there's a lot of people in your corner rooting for you so just uh, uh feel those good vibrations and take them with you because i uh, just know that anybody you know is going to be rooting for you and street band in the breeders cup no,
3: thank you very much i really appreciate it john and I look forward to it. Maybe you might be able to snap a few fantastic pictures like you did at the Indiana Oak. <laughs> yeah,
2: those were some fun ones. Yes, they were. They were. I look forward to taking it. You're but very, you're very photogenic, so that's the easy part. Because <laughs> you've always got those glistening aisles and eyes and those great big smiles. So I love that. All right, Sophie, take Thank care. You. Thanks for taking the time to join us yeah, today.
3: absolutely. Thank you very much, John. It was my pleasure all right
2: well that was sophie doyle and as you can tell she loves what she's doing and she loves the people she's doing it with just one of the many great things about being involved in racing and on the other side of it don't forget you got to have great people that can pick out winners in races and that's why we're calling on andrew champagne i'm john Engelhart. you're listening to winning ponies <laughs>
1: number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com
2: All right, and, and with me, uh, a gentleman I met by accident, uh, by just cruising around and finding uh, the name Andrew Champagne in different places. And it uh, turns out uh, he's uh, turned out to be a very, very good handicapper. Uh, he uh, you know, was recognized a couple years ago as uh, one of the top handicappers, I believe, during the Saratoga meet. And uh, I do believe he worked for a while at the Saratoga uh Uh, As a multimedia sports journalist, and from there, you can tell this is a guy uh, that's that's going places, Uh, just like I told you way before it happened that Matt Bernier and uh, Byron King would land on their feet from their jobs. I want to find out now what Andrew Champagne is doing. Andrew, are you with us? I'm here, John. Thank you
4: very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Always enjoyed the opportunity to be able to talk some horses. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty busy over the last year or so. Uh, I'm still doing some stuff for the Saratogian and the pink sheet. I actually was first in the pink sheet this year. Pretty happy about that. I won Whoa, by one see? win. Yeah, gonna and i up, to update
2: your bio. I told you that. I knew you were doing better things than the bio we had online.
4: Yep, uh, I, uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I came down to the hopeful. I wound up uh, winning by one win over Liam Durbin, who's a phenomenal handicapper and a really good guy. I still do some stuff with the Daily Racing Form. I do a couple of DRF Bets spot play videos for their video platforms. I've also been doing a lot of writing lately with both Odds Checker and Horse Racing Nation, as well as for my own personal site, andrewchampagne.com. And if you want a little more bite-sized chunks of what I do, Follow me on Twitter at at AndrewChampagne.
2: All right. Well, uh, since you have a journalism background, background, I'm going to quiz you a little bit if you don't mind that. Um, Go right ahead. By any chance, were you watching the Pennsylvania Derby and the Cotillion on television last week?
4: Uh, unfortunately, I was not. I had to make a spur-of-the-moment trip back east uh, for unexpected reasons, so I wasn't able to really watch the races as they happened. I did wound up catching uh, a bunch of the replays, obviously, with, uh, with what happened in the Pennsylvania Derby with Math Wizard and in the Catillion with Street Band and with Sophie Doyle on, and that's a great story as well. The three-year-old divisions are, I'm trying to find the nice way to say it, but I can't, they're a mess right now. And uh, I have an Eclipse Award vote. I'm dreading the uh, possibility of voting. It's going uh, to be something where it's going to come down to the greatest
3: cup and maybe a couple
4: races after
2: that. But you had a journalism question, so by all means, fire away. Maybe I can still answer it. All right. Well, no, I wasn't going to ask you about any of the racing. What I was going to ask you about was Tim Layden's commentary, where he seemed to cl- uh, give a little retort to Joe Drape on – Check your facts, do your stats before you write a story, pal. You know, uh, given the sport, uh, a a black eye, obviously, I'm sure you uh, read plenty about uh, the uh, accusations about uh, the Justify team, and Tim Layton, after doing a lot more research with a lot more vets and chemists and people familiar with the California racing program, really dug into the fact that said, hey... You know, there were five of the the reason the California Horse Racing Board didn't rule anything is they didn't rule on five other horses either because they all got their hay and feed from the same farm that uh, admitted that it was the time of the season where they tend to get Jimson weed. Uh, Thus, the Scalopamine, a word I never knew before, but now I know how to pronounce it, got into these horses systems. And it has for years in California. I know you're on the West Coast now. It came from the East Coast. Uh, I, I wish perhaps you saw it on Twitter because his story is up there uh, from sport, NBC Sports and, of course, Tim Layden, a award-winning writer from Sports Illustrated. A, did you see that story? And B, what was your read on the blast from Joe Drape? It's incredibly tough to comment
4: for me because I'm, from a full-time perspective, I'm out of the business. But from what I can see, first of all, Tim Layden is one of the best in the world at what he does. I cannot say enough about the quality of his work, both from the standpoint of his career at Sports Illustrated, and now I believe he's working full-time with NBC Sports. He's a credit to the profession and one of the best storytellers that racing has. And at a time where racing needs stories and racing needs people that know how to communicate to the masses about not just the parts of the sport that some publications want to comment on, on everything, Tim Layden is an asset to the game. I was able to see parts of the story. I haven't read the whole thing. I haven't dissected it yet. Having said that, there's a lot of moving parts in all of this, and it's going to be a little while before the dust settles, but Tim Layden raised a number of good points, and with regard to the Jude rape story, I'm... I find it tough to comment on a lot of that stuff considering the source and some of the other stories that he has written over the past several years. And I'm not going to bore you with details on that. Anybody that has followed racing and followed what he has written knows some of the stories that he, is, that he has written. Having said that, what jumped out to me about the Joe Drape story was it wasn't even the Jimson stuff. It wasn't even the Baffert stuff. It was the comments about the CHRB. And that's something that I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on, especially given all of the things that are happening in California this year, not just the stuff at San Anita earlier this year, the fact that the Breeders Cup is coming up in less than two months. I think there's a lot of moving parts. I don't think the story's been fully told yet. I don't think it's going to be told for the next several months, and it'll be interesting to see how things shake out.
2: Uh, it, it will. And by the way, my producer's telling me, hey, ask Andrew to keep the phone a little more steady, closer to his mouth, because you are going in and out on it's just a little bit. Not a so.
4: problem. I'm very sorry about that. I am on a cell phone as opposed to a landline, and I'm very sorry. I can also make sure to speak up a little bit, too.
2: It's not your fault. Everybody, I, I would say nine out of ten people tell me, John, I don't have a landline anymore, so just call me at, at this number. Uh but, uh, no, thanks for your, your input on the, the, the Tim Layden. I, I must say he, uh, on live television, he really put it into a nice perspective because, I, as I, I stated on these airwaves last week, I had, you know, I'm the racing guy around my people that know me, you know, at the bank or the store or whatever, and they're like, hey, how about that Justify story? I said, oh, did you hear about that? Did you read about that? I, they said, yeah. I said, did you read the story the next day? No. No, no, it did, didn't, because the media didn't put it out when they put out Baffert's, con, uh, you know, uh, conversations and uh, uh, quotes from the veterinarians and and the doctors out in California <laughs> talking about. Oh, this is you know, for years we've considered this a substance that just appears and disappears in certain hay and straw, and it was just funny that uh, Joe Drape seemed to have uh, you know the whole team hung, and, and I think the something you were referring to that you weren't able to was, uh, how they, he came out against, uh, Steve Asmussen, uh, who was eventually cleared, uh, you know, trying to get him banned from the hall of fame. Uh, it, it's like, and they kept moving. Do you ever, do you notice how they kept moving his court dates? Cause they kept wanting to find more, wanting to find more, wanting want to find more and they couldn't. And I'm so glad that Asmussen's in the hall of fame, but, uh, f- you know, the, the guy's a good writer. I, I've, I've read his book. Uh, on racing, but uh, boy, sometimes he seems to jump to conclusions. Well, I think the bigger
4: issue from what you pointed at is a lot of people read the initial story, and in our current media culture where people have attention spans that can be measured in nanoseconds, there's no time to be outraged because everyone is already on to the next thing, and people formulated their opinions, and they moved on to whatever is next, and that's unfortunate because Tim Layton's piece was really good, and it goes against a lot of the things that may have initially been reported. So hopefully more people get a sense of what's out there. Hopefully Tim Layton's piece gets shared a little bit more widely, and hopefully we can focus on some of the better parts of racing, like some of the breeders' tuck preps that are coming up this weekend around the country. Some of the best horses in the country are going to be in action, and it's going to be a lot of fun.
2: Wow. Thanks for the segue. You can tell this guy's in the media, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go right into the big one. Uh, a, a race that I, I sat down and wrote out 12 champions on my desk last night and, of course, left that piece of paper on a desk. But the great horses <laughs> that have come out of the Jockey Club Gold Cup uh, are fantastic from every generation. And While this race has not drawn a big field, it's drawn a very talent-laden field. And I guess most eyes, if you're reading past performances, would be drawn uh, to maybe uh, Tacitus and Code of Honor. But they're three-year-olds taking on some, I should say, a couple – Slightly older horses, the one that is really a story of his own is Jimmy Jerkin's preservationist, who, boy, that name couldn't have been better because this horse has been long preserved like a bottle of six-year-old scotch. Uh, He's had his ins and outs as far as injuries, but I think Jimmy Jerkins has found something about this horse where this year all of a sudden he wins just short of a million dollars coming into this race. On the other hand, coat of honor just looks sensational. It looks like Shug McGay's finally found the key to this horse. Any horse that wins the Travers, is, as you know, is kind of an upstate New York guy. He finds a special part in your heart. It's a mile and a quarter. So is the Jacket Club Gold Cup. And Tacitus, sooner or later his day is going to come. But I'll tell you this, no matter what you're going to tell me what you like, I'm making a huge place bet on him.
4: I'm not going to talk you off of that because Tacitus is likely going to be the third choice and you might get some value. From my standpoint, horses that find trouble and draw the rail, they're not horses that I tend to bid on. Uh, There are some horses that will go out of their way to find ways to lose. The horse that I remember from many, many years ago, there was a three-year-old that ran in a lot of big races, cashed minor checks always seem to be flying at the end and giving backers another reason to bet the horse next time out was a horse by the name of Dollar Bill. And Tassel oh, yeah. reminds me a lot of that horse. Um, this is a horse that has a lot of talent. Won a couple of grade two races earlier in the year. Was third in the Kentucky Derby. Second in the Belmont. Second in the Jim Dandy despite that horrible start. Second in the Coda Honor in the Travers. I can't back him on top. To me, it's a horse that embodies the notion that horses are in fact pack animals. And To me, this is a horse that is going to win a lot of money. Maybe at some point he wins the big one, but he is going to likely beat me doing it. Code of Honor, the horse to his outside, yes, he won the Travers. Yes, it's the Travers. Yes, it's a great one at 10 furlongs. Having said that, if Preservationist runs the way he ran in the grade two Suburban at this route in July, I think everyone else is running for second money. I think Preservationist has developed into one of the better, older horses in the country. And from what I had heard a couple of weeks ago, these connections may very well not be shipping to Santa Anita for the Breeders' Cup. This really? could be his Breeders' Cup, and I think he's going to be fully cranked. He's probably going to be the second choice, which means we might get a little bit of value. He's 9-5 on the morning line, so we're not going to get a huge price. But anything 2-1 to one and up, to me, would be an overlay. I like Preservationist a lot, and by the way, I personally think he's much smoother than six-year-old Scotch. I can't do Scotch, John. I'm sorry. I just can't do it.
3: <laughs>
2: Six-year-old's probably not good. I just looked down and saw how old he was. I prefer a, at least a 10-year-old bourbon myself, but uh, Andrew Champagne is with us, and uh, I, I definitely see the points of what you're saying, and again, even though it's later in the season, they're three-year-olds going against an older horse who just seems to have found his mojo this year uh, after kind of a uh, career that uh, has seen to make only 10 starts a 6 years old but I got a feeling he's 100% right now and I agree with you and like you said I'm not sure why he wouldn't go to the Breeders Cup but I'm also not sure if this is going to be his swan song. or Perhaps he'll go on the stallion route. He is six right now, so eh, maybe a second career might be okay for him. All right, let's go backwards to the ninth race, uh, the grade three Pilgrim. Uh, This is for uh, two-year-old boys. And uh, you tell me who seems to come to the top because I grabbed a sheet of paper that has no odds on it, and I don't have a clue, although I always look strong to the horses that have been competing in graded stakes.
4: Well, going back really quickly to what you had said about preservationist after the Woodward, I had seen a report where the connections weren't crazy about shooting cross-country and would instead be eyeing the Pegasus in January to start off the horse's seven-year-old campaign. After that, I'm not sure, and maybe plans have changed. Having said that, that was the report that I saw a couple of weeks ago after the Woodward. Going to the Pilgrim, however, there's a horse that I like a fair bit, and he's the four-to-one third choice on the morning line. Number six, our country ran what I thought was one of the most impressive races by a two-year-old at Saratoga this summer. That was the maiden win two-back, where he won by nearly six lengths and finished very, very quickly. He went into the width anticipation, which is a grade three. He was six to five that day, stumbled at the start, was ranked all the way around, probably never had a chance, and maybe he bounced a little bit off of that race. But if you believe in the bounce, I think you have to believe in the bounce back. Our country's 4-1 on the morning line. I really hope we get that price come post-time. I happen to think he's the horse to beat.
2: I love it. Again, we're talking to Andrew Champagne, and uh, he's been known as a guy that really knows how to handicap, and those are some great points uh, that you pointed out there. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to see... Uh, cause we only have the third place finisher from the with anticipation in there, uh, who is and a uh, Brad Cox, who's had a sensational season, uh, Javier Castellano will be up, but, uh, just, uh, didn't do well. But, uh, again, this race, by the way, everybody, uh, is on the turf. So you need to know that. And, uh, our country has made all three career starts on the turf. Andrew Champagne, handicapper galore, is talking with us right now. Now, going into the Dame grade two, $300,000. Again, I was wondering why it took so long for the PPs to come out. I think the racing secretary is going crazy. Chasing people down saying, hey, we got a grade two, 300,000, and we only end up with six horses. Now, I understand uh, Midnight zoo, this will probably be her swan song because she's going to be going into the Phasic tipton sale, I believe. Wow. They're going to have to pay a price for a horse that's won over 3.2 million. Uh, Mike Smith, though, not coming into town and will be ridden by Johnny V, who rode her to a very close third place in the Breeders' Cup Distaff staff this year. Give me your impressions of Midnight Bisou. Is this a response song? And uh, why is Mike Smith not there? He's, she's been a ATM machine for him for her last six races. Well, remember, it's
4: also a big weekend over at Santa Anita, and there are a lot of big races going on over there. Chances are he had a couple of mounts over there versus just Midnight Bisou uh, in the Bell Dame. He probably weighed the numbers and decided it was worth staying at Santa Anita. I don't think it was a personal choice. I don't think there's any red flags here. And, in fact, for me, the less said about this race, the better. I think Midnight Bisou crushes this field. Number six, (laughs) Wildcat, is the defending champion. But the two races this year, not all that special. Midnight Bisou beat her by 10 lengths in the grade one personal Ensign at Saratoga. If Midnight Bisu runs anywhere close to her best race, the race here is for second. I think Midnight Bisu is a single in any multi-race exotics wagers you happen to be playing. She's two to five on the morning line, and I think she's going to run like it.
2: Well, well stated, young man. Well stated. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, they have pick threes, pick fours, <laughs> and I think if you're going to be going horizontally, as they say, put a ring around Midnight Bisu. Uh, Well, the Vosberg, it's for horses that got uh, speed underneath them. And uh, all I can say is Imperial Hint looks to have the edge in here. Try to talk me off him. Okay. I like
4: Imperial Hint. Any other racetrack in the country, Imperial Hint is probably one to nine and jogs. But I think singling him is a mistake. Forensic Fire loves Belmont Park. He's three for four at Belmont. His best races have come at Belmont, and he draws a really nice outside post. He's five to two on the morning line. I think that's a pretty fair price, and I think Forensic Fire is in a position where, perhaps a little bit like Preservationist, this might well be his Breeders' Cup. They might ship him to Santa Anita. But this is a horse that's been pigeonholed a little bit because six furlongs is a hair short, mile is a hair long, but at Belmont, he seems to run the race of his life pretty much every time out. Remember, this is a horse that won the Champagne Stakes, a grade one event, as a two-year-old over this Belmont surface. He won the grade three Dwyer very impressively here last year over this Belmont surface. And he also won a stakes race going six furlongs here earlier this year where he went to six furlongs and 108 flat. Forensic Fire anywhere else is a decent horse. At Belmont, he may very well be one of the best sprinters
2: on the grounds, and I think Forensic Fire stands a big chance in the Vosburg. All right, we're talking with Andrew Champagne. He's out on the West Coast right now. And Andrew, did I didn't ask you to handicap this race, and I wasn't sure if you read anything about it, uh, but the uh, prep for the Breeders' Cup Classic, McKenzie uh, versus Higher Power. Did you have a chance to look at that race or you know anything about it? McKenzie, end of story.
4: Uh, higher Power, <laughs> good story. The West Coast needs horses to come out of the woodwork because, to be blunt, the older horse scene in California, it's its not great this year. Higher power ran very well in the Pacific Classic. I think McKenzie's a different animal.
2: Well, it'll be very interesting. Most people are saying he'll probably go into the Breeders' Cup Classic as the favorite. Uh, we will find out. Well, Andrew Champagne, listen... Thanks on a couple levels for joining us to do some handicapping, uh, but perhaps even more importantly to give us your input uh, on some of the pressing issues of the day. Uh, I I find you to be very uh, well-read and a a good student of the game, and uh, I appreciate your uh, input on all the topics that we covered tonight. Well, thank you very much. And if we've got a minute, there's one other horse on the Belmont
4: card that I'd really like to talk about. I promise you yes! won't be as quick we as Yes, we have a minute. Me.
2: My producer just told me, so talk us through it.
4: Okay, race number six is a maiden special weight event for two-year-olds. I love these races, and there's a 10-to-1 shot in here that I really like for a number of reasons. Number eight, Modernist, on paper, has a good pedigree. If you dig a little bit, you're going to see it's a great pedigree. His second dam is a horse named Sweet Life, which makes the dam a half to a couple of horses you've probably heard of, Grade One winners like Life Is Sweet and Sweet Catamine, and a stakes winner, Blanco. Modernist is ten to one on the morning line, as I've mentioned, and there are some pretty good works in that one's work tab. I really hope we get that price. I think this one is well meant. I certainly hope it's well meant. And if that horse gets home, it's probably going to be a pretty good day for yours truly. So that's horse number eight and race number six on Saturday at Belmont.
2: I love it. Andrew Champagne, this is not going to be the last time you're going to be on Winning Ponies. I want to thank you so much for joining us.
4: It's my pleasure, John. Thank you very much. and I really appreciate it. And Best of luck this weekend.
2: All right. That was Andrew Champagne. Uh, I, I want to... Uh, Thank uh, Ms. Doyle for joining us, and I want to remind you with the good racing around this weekend. Easy win forms. We had another good week. Gulfstream, one dollar super five key paid twenty four hundred, and then you go over to Laurel, one dollar super five key paid two thousand thirteen, and over at Los Alamitos. Uh, this was only a few days ago. $1 pick for $1,857. Those are the Winning Ponies Easy Win forms. Again, Sophie and Andrew, thank you for being on the show. Most importantly, thank you for listening. If you got friends that think would enjoy this uh, edition, don't forget, we put them up on podcast. They'll be up there all year long, but get them to them this week so you know the horses that who we like. So for all the staff at Winning Ponies, I'm John Englehart. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not
1: over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.